Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church. I want the Lord to help us this evening, and uh, I believe that he will. I've sincerely asked him to since way before daylight today, not just starting today, but since well before day, I asked the Lord to bless this word to our heart, and... and um, Amen. I feel such a sweet presence here. Amen. I'm not in a hurry because I don't know what to say. I'm just not in a hurry because I don't want to pass by. And if we're here till 2 o'clock in the morning, when it's over, it'll be over. And we'll never be able to get back here. Amen. So just think about that. Amen. Thank you for standing. I want you to join me, if you will, in the book of Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. Our prayer focus this week has been Romans 12 and 1. And uh, it's been centered around this very verse, the ending phrases of this verse. And uh, I want the Lord to, if he will, to help me convey what's in my heart to yours. I don't want to just speak to your ear or to your intellect, but let the Spirit of God touch us tonight. Romans 12 and 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, and here is our key, which is your reasonable service. And um, I don't intend to bring something to you tonight that's just canned and warmed up, but I want to... God to touch us with a fresh anointing, a fresh anointing. I know Romans 12 and 1 is a very familiar passage of scripture and we have probably heard it approached from every angle and so I'm not reaching for a new spin but I am reaching for a fresh anointing, amen. May the Lord bless you tonight and you can be seated in the fear of the Lord. Last Wednesday night, I spoke about finding contentment in the Lord and in my closing illustration, I used the life example of missionaries, brother and sister, Benny de Merchant, missionaries to Brazil. This couple truly presented themselves, I believe, as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto the Lord. I spoke just a little bit about their lives. If you uh, do not know them, there's a book, at least one book written on their life and it would be a very worthy investment to read about the things that God used them to accomplish and uh, I appreciate the work that is still going on there today. While there are many men and women in scripture that model Romans 12 and 1 for us, I'm thankful that there are those living among us that continue to model such things. If we were just having to reach back into the New Testament or to the Old Testament to find examples, 
I believe that in time we would recognize that woeful gap between then and now. But I am honored to tell you today that all of the heroes of faith are not just locked up in this book. They're not just stories that are written for the ages, but there are men and women that are walking the face of this earth that are giving themselves to the Lord, wholly acceptable, and they consider that to be their reasonable service. As Jesus was about to begin his final journey to Jerusalem and then, of course, ultimately to Calvary, he went to the region of Caesarea Philippi with his disciples. And it was in this setting that Jesus looked at those that were nearest him and he began to ask of them some very heartfelt, pointed, and direct questions. He said, who do men say that I am? The disciples, of course, if you're familiar with this passage of scripture, it's found in Matthew 16 and and 13, if you're not, and it's worth underlining there. The disciples mentioned several famous prophets in reply, but then Jesus brought this a little bit closer to the center of the conversation, and he said, let's just forget about who men say that I am, but I want to ask you, who do you say that I am? I mean, are, are we just going through the motions here? Who do you say that I am? Well, in that crowd, there was Simon Peter, who was always quick on the trigger, and he said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. You got it. Amen. In Jesus' time, the, the, the popular Jewish idea of the Christ or Messiah, in their mind, was going to be a political figure or a national figure, and the Messiah would save them. He would not save them by dying as a sacrifice for their sins, but he would save them by driving out the hated Romans rulers and that he would restore to them the kingdom of Israel and then he would rule over them. And so that in their mind was their Messiah. And so knowing that common expectation, Jesus began to explain to the disciples that this is not at all how this is going to unfold. I am not a political leader. I'm not going to lead you in the ways that you think I am. But he said, I'm going to be going to Jerusalem, but when I go to Jerusalem, it's not going to be to set up an earthly kingdom, but he rather, he stated, that he would suffer many things of the elders and of the chief priests and the scribes, and that he would be killed and that he would be raised again the third day. Now, if we think about their mindset before this conversation was concluded, and their mindset now, we have to realize that their thought process had to look like a kaleidoscope. This doesn't at all ring true to what I thought was going to happen. And that was such unexpected news that once again, Simon Peter rebuked him. That's what the scripture says. And that says, be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not come unto thee. Well, at this point, Simon's heart was in the right place, but his understanding was grossly missing the mark. And so in that moment, if this thought had continued and if this had caught fire, then he would have become a stumbling block to the overall purpose of the Lord. And so Jesus turned and rebuked him and even called him Satan. Now, no one and nothing could stop Jesus from the cross because that was the purpose However, the cross, we think about the cross and we liken that to Calvary and we understand if we have any measure of humanity about us, the pain and the suffering that was equated with the cross 
But we have to also understand that Calvary's cross was just what Jesus bore, but every one of us and every disciple would have to bear their own cross. In Matthew 16, 24 and 25, Jesus said to his disciples, he said, if any man will come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. I have to bear my cross. I don't have to bear your cross, and you don't have to bear mine. I have to bear my cross. You have to bear your cross. But hear me, we all have a cross to bear. We all have a cross to bear. Jesus never baits and switches. He never over-promises and then under-delivers. He's always upfront about the sacrifice. He's always upfront about what this is going to cost you if you become a follower of me. And so here in, in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus plainly stated that if they were truly a follower of him, that they must sacrifice all and travel the way of the cross, the way of the cross, the way of sacrifice. The cross is a place of death. The cross is a place that we die. I mean, I know we don't want to talk about that many, many times, but we've got to die that something in us for the Lord can live, except a grain of seed fall into the ground and die. It must first die before it can produce anything. We desire, we, we uh, die uh, to seeking our own will. And the scripture uses phrases and terminology like this, that we would seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And the promise is this, that if we would put God first, he understands that life is filled with things. And when I say things, I'm not just talking about stuff and junk, but life is made up of many things. But the Lord said if we would seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, that he would make sure that all the other things would be added to us. And so if I can just keep God at the, prior, the top of my priority, I wanna be at church more than I wanna be any place else because if I put him first, then he'll take care of everything else. I want financially to be, I wanna be a good steward and give to God the first fruits because he said that if I would seek first the kingdom of God, he would make sure and add to all these other things. I am somewhat preaching to the choir tonight. I am preaching to men and women, young and old, that could stand and say, I have, I have sacrificially given and done what the scripture taught me to do when I didn't think it was all gonna work out on the other end, but I put God first and God made sure that everything else came into place. Amen. The Lord's prayer includes this phrase in Matthew 6.10. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. I think we should always pause and make note of that phrase in earth because in the book of Genesis, man was formed from the dust of the earth and so I want to pray, Lord, let your will be done in earth. Let your will be done in me as it is in heaven. I want to be able to say that heaven and earth are in alignment when I'm talking about me and standing in his will. And that ought to be all of our desire. Let your will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Let it be done in me. I want to pray that. I want to pray that and I want to be that. 
This is seeking first the kingdom of heaven. We have to die to sin and refuse to be uh, allow sin uh, to, to run rampant in our lives. You have to reign sin in. Amen. I understand that children have different personalities, but for the most part, you have to reign children in. If you do not, the inmates will be running the asylum. You have to rein them in. That is the very nature. And that is the very nature of sin. And pardon me for likening children and sin in the same sentence, but it's an inerrant nature. We are born with that sin nature. And so when we rein it in, we can't let it reign in our mortal bodies. Because when we rein sin in, then that sets us free to walk in holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. I first have got to get this in control. I've got to die to my self-centeredness. Amen. That sets us free to live a Christ-centered life. A life that is fully devoted to fulfilling the will, the will of God. All you got to do to understand self-centeredness, again, I'm not picking on children, but all you got to do to find self-centeredness is just ask a child to divide a stick of gum or a piece of candy. <laughs> You'll figure out quickly who does the dividing because I promise you it will be fudged to, do, to their benefit. And there it is, there it is. I've got to die to self-centeredness. I've got to give more than I receive. I've got to want to push back more, put back more. Commitment to the Lord. It has to take priority over every other commitment that I make in my life. It has to take priority over commitments, over commitments that I make to those that are the closest to me. It's got to take priority over all. Jesus, I don't think is interested in us just offering some or even most of our lives. He calls for us to give all of our lives, to give it all. You know, the rich young ruler, the story of the rich young ruler, he was, premier, he was prepared to commit, but only to a point. And when Jesus started asking him to relinquish one thing that was the closest to him, he said, oh, all those other things you've mentioned, I've kept them from my youth. I've been doing that my whole life. But then when Jesus asked him for the thing that meant the most to him, sadly, he had to turn and walk away. Amen. He had to walk away because now the Lord has gotten right down where we're living. He's grinding into that that has been a sacrifice. And so it's often been said that Jesus is either Lord of all or he is not Lord at all. I just want to give you an observation of something through the years. And this is just an observation. But I have noticed people through the years that sometimes are often more um, willing to give of their resources than they are of their time. Amen. And don't stop, don't stop supporting the church. Hear me. But some people think if I could just give you $5 and I don't have to show up, just let me give you $5. And what they're really saying is, is that my priority is not my wallet. My priority is my time. Amen. You can be seated. <laughs> Please calm down. But you see, sacrifice is sacrifice. And so if in that illustration money isn't as much of the issue as time, then we have to ask ourselves, have we really 
sacrificed? Have we really done something that kind of cut into where we're living? Because I believe that sacrifice by its very nature must cost the giver something. In Matthew 21, Jesus overthrew the tables in the temple. If you remember the story, and he he rebuked and cast out the money changers and those that were there selling various things. And the people were there. It wasn't just a flea market. There was a method to the madness. The people were there, and what they were buying, they were changing money, monies perhaps that was from a different place that wouldn't have any value there. We're going to change our money so that we can, our money will be of value here at the temple so that we can buy something to sacrifice unto the Lord. Amen. So when they got to the temple, in other words, we just wait till we get there to sacrifice. There'll be somebody outside, kind of like somebody. I, I've only heard of this. I, trust me. I, I don't truly understand the concept of it all, but it's like somebody scalping tics, tickets outside of a, an event. Right? <laughs> a lot of you shaking your head about that. <laughs> I Man, I need to change my sermon. I don't know. So we'll just wait, no sense in buying them ahead of time, we'll just wait and buy them on the street and we'll get something that costs us nothing. Now here's the deal. There were people that knew when the sacrifice was coming and so they had prepared, they had diligently planned their sacrifice. They hand-picked an animal, they set it aside, they fed it the best grains because this was going to be given to the Lord. But there were others who thought so little about what we're doing here is we'll just... We'll forget about that until the day before or the morning of and then we'll go and we'll purchase something on the steps of the temple and we'll give that to God. But Jesus would have nothing to do with that and he overturned the tables and he ran the money changers out. I mean, for the one time in scripture we can find that Jesus in his humanity, what we may think, just lost it. Amen. In short, we have to die to ourselves so that we can live to him, live for him. And, and so in taking up our cross, we dedicate ourselves to that. So we do whatever the cost, that we may obtain that that is beyond all costs. Not how long is this going to take? How much is this going to cost me? How much sacrifice is going to be involved? There's absolutely no way that you can devise a job plan when you're talking about ministry or a job description, let me say, when you're talking about ministry. For every department in our church, we do have a job description. But it just kind of hits the high points. Nowhere in the job description does it say to anybody that's in youth ministry or anybody in children's ministry that, that some nights you're going to be out to 2 o'clock in the morning in the church van dropping off kids in the rain. But there are people in this building that have done just that. And so if you're worried about how much, how long, how far, we have to understand that whatever the cost is going to purchase me what's beyond the cost. The way of the cross is a way of sacrifice. It is a way of sacrifice. And while it is a sacrifice to all, oddly enough, it is a gain to all. So much stands, I believe, to be gained or lost with this one critical decision. What will we do? What will we do at the intersection that God is asking us what we will give of him and will we give ourselves as a living sacrifice? I will tell you this, that Jesus will never, has never, and he will never force us to take up our cross. He'll call, but he won't compel 
He's not going to shame us into service. Can somebody say amen? But he will empower those that answer the call. Amen. He won't take up the cross for us, but he will give us the strength day by day. And so since he doesn't force us to take up the cross, we need to ask ourselves what motivates us then to take up the cross. The writer of Hebrews, I believe, gives some insight to that. Jesus endured on the cross immeasurable and unthinkable suffering, but the scripture says it was for the joy of saving us and being in right relationship with us. And so there was something ahead for him. In the first 11 chapters of the book of Romans, the apostle Paul speaks about the saving work of Jesus Christ on Calvary's cross. He writes about how Christ sets us free from the penalty of sin. He writes about how we are justified by faith. He speaks about how we are set free from the control of sin. We're not set free by the, by the influence or the impact of sin because sin is everywhere prevalent in our world. But I'm thankful that we are set free from the control of sin. I don't have to bow to the altars that I used to have to bow to. I don't have to be subjected to the things that I once was subjected to. My, my Lord, amen. He speaks about how we are sanctified by the Spirit. And then Paul raises the issue of how we should respond to this knowledge. I think a, a proper response that Paul urged believers to give is, is this. He said, becoming a living sacrifice. It's our text, holy, acceptable unto the Lord. He referred to that as reasonable service. And so as we walk with him, we are to continually offer our entire lives to him. We offer that in many, many ways. No way I could cover all of that this evening. Amen. We offer our lives in many ways. We offer our lives in worship. We offer our lives in consecration. In the Old Testament ritual, the sacrifice of an animal, that was one time. That was just one thing, one time a year. It was one life, and it was forever settled, at least for that time. But we offer ourselves as a perpetual offering of devotion and obedience to the Lord each and every day. Amen. The Lord has prompted us to talk to somebody about him. The Lord has prompted us sometimes at opportune or inopportune times to witness to someone or to be kind to them, to, to, to buy their meal or to do something. God is using us in his service. We have to make sure that we're open to that at all times. We have to offer ourselves as a perpetual offering in obedience to the Lord. As a living sacrifice, our worship and our consecration should never end. We ought to always be worshipers, not just when we're in the house of God, not just when we're in a formal church service and during our praise and worship service are set, but it ought to be always that worship is in our heart. Amen. As holy, we are sanctified by his spirit and set apart by him. And as acceptable unto God, that means we are in right relationship. Uh, we are in right relationship to the Lord. And then Paul described this. He said, this is your reasonable service. The Greek word for reasonable means either spiritual or rational. And it's entirely possible that the apostle Paul had both of these definitions in mind when he penned these words. Our sacrifice of ourselves is obviously it's a spiritual act and not a physical act. But I think we can all agree that, that we have received so much from the Lord. I believe you could agree with me tonight that God has been so good. <laughs> God has been so good to me. Amen. The church 
Amen. The church, I, I, I can include this local assembly, but I'm talking about the church at large has been so good to me. Amen. Because we know him. We know one another. And the list goes on and on and on about how much God has poured into our lives. The Lord has been so good to me. I've heard people say, I've said it myself, I've had a resounding response always that if the Lord never bless us again, he's already done enough. He's done enough. He's done enough. Amen. So how how much more then should we willingly sacrifice if the Lord gave all? And so I think the appropriate response is, Lord, whatever you would have me to do, amen, that's what I want to do. And I want to do it with my utmost. I want to give my best. I don't want anything about this to seem half-hearted. Amen. Paul then revealed what being a living sacrifice of God entails. He talks about taking up our cross and following him daily. And in this I think if we kind of brought this down to where we live means that we are seeking daily to become more and more like him. Amen. Paul admonished us not to be conformed to this world. Amen. The phrase this world refers to our society, the world, its beliefs, its values, its customs, its lifestyles, its pleasures. I, I don't want to be conformed to that. I want to be conformed to him. Galatians 1 and 4 says Jesus gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil age. That's what Paul wrote to the Galatian church. Amen. Jesus gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil age. And so I must, according to Corinthians, and again, Paul, the writer here, says that we ought to come out. We must come out from among them and be separate, saith the Lord. I'll just say today, again, one more time, that if the world can see nothing different about our life and our lifestyle, if the world can see nothing different about our conduct, if the world can't see anything different about how we dress, how we live, how we conduct ourselves, they've got no reason to leave where they are and come where we are. But I believe that the, I believe that the world ought to see something in our apostolic ladies when they turn and walk away. And I believe that the world ought to see something in our apostolic men when they turn and walk away. This is not just a one-sided affair. This is not a ladies only event. But I believe God has called men to holiness like he's called women to holiness. He has called men amen to not lift our hands. We need to lift our hands without wrath and doubting. Amen. We don't need to be we don't need to be ruled by the things of this world. Amen. We need to let the world see Jesus shine in us. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I can't be conformed to this world. I can't be conformed to this world. Amen. Some people, well, what's the big difference between distinction and dresses among the sexes? Well, just look around our world. That's a question that ought to answer itself. Amen, and as bizarre as we think what may be happening in Hollywood, it is not limited there. There's not a fence around that. There's not, there's not razor wire around that philosophy. Those ideologies, they are in our world. They're in our towns and our communities. Yes, they are. Yes, they are. So how can we do this? How do we prevent ourselves from being conformed to this world? Paul said we do this by being transformed by the renewing of our mind. Now, transformation doesn't take place in a moment of time. 
Transformation is a lifetime process. Now this statement doesn't fit well to the judges and the jurors of the church that think people ought to be moving at a faster pace or ought to be doing this or ought to be doing that. Amen, but transformation is a lifelong process. It is the spirit of God forming our mind. Amen, I'm thankful for those among us that have solidified their walk with God. I'm thankful for that, but I'm also thankful for those that are on the right road and they're headed in the right direction and they're going to get where they need to get and we have got to create cultivate and maintain an atmosphere where people can grow in that kind of environment. And so as we grow in him, we got to value what he values and reject what he rejects. Let me go back just a moment. While we need to maintain a a climate and an atmosphere where people can grow, I've said it a lot of times through the years that every church should have a shallow end of the pool. The danger of having a shallow end of the pool is that people can swim, keep wanting to go down there. Can I just say, get back in the deep end. Amen, get back in the deep end. Because we need to lead people to us. Amen, we need to lead people to spiritual, to deeper spiritual things in the Lord. Amen, they're not gonna be able to do that if we don't have them someplace that they can follow, somewhere they can follow. And so I said a moment ago, Jesus is not gonna force us to take up our cross. He's not gonna force us to be transformed. Amen. And that is, that's not to say that we can somehow mystically transform ourselves, but this is something that the, only the Spirit of God can do. But we must put ourselves, and I want you to hear me now, we must put ourselves in a place where the Spirit can do that work. I can't save myself. I can't transform myself. But I can keep myself in a position where the Spirit can work on me. One man said to another man, you're the, you're the luckiest guy I know. His reply was this, I have found the secret. He said, the harder I work, the luckier I get. <laughs> now, I want you to please forgive my, my illustration because I don't listen to and or follow country music and I would suggest that you do the same. However, some time ago, I watched an interview of country star Vince Gill on YouTube. Now, I didn't know all these statistics. I actually looked these up this afternoon when I decided to use this illustration. I've never been able to to shake just a few things that were said in this interview. I I won't share them all in case I want to use the illustration again. But uh, (laughs) I won't put the whole pot of beans on the table tonight. But... There were several things that were said that, that were trigger points for me. And so this evening, I just simply Googled uh, for this illustration a few things right here. He has recorded more than 20 studio albums. He has charted over 40 singles in the U.S. Billboard charts. He has sold more than 26 million albums. He has been honored by the Country Music Association with 18 CMA Awards, including two Entertainer of the Year Awards and five Male Vocalists of the Year Awards. As of 2017, Vince Gill had also earned 21 Grammy Awards more than any other male country music artist. 
In 2007, he was inducted into the Country Music Hall of Fame. And so in the process of this interview, the man interviewing him said, what would you attribute to be your key to success? Well, in just a millisecond of time, I was expecting a canned answer. I was expecting him to say how many hours a day he practiced singing or how many hours a day he practiced playing the guitar or something of that nature. I was expecting him to say something that would be in line with singing or being a musician. However, his answer to that question left me somewhat surprised and very challenged. Without hesitation, he simply looked the interviewer in the eye and said, I always answer my phone. (laughs) I had the same response. What would you attribute to the key of your success for all of these nominations and all of these awards and for being inducted into the Country Music Hall of Fame, I always answer my phone because you never know who or what may be on the other end. And with that, he followed of an example while one day, still in his struggling years, his phone rang, he answered the phone, and on the other end was Dolly Parton, who asked him to join her in the recording of a song that changed the trajectory of his career forever. So what do you do? What did you do for all your success? Long before the day she called, I made a commitment that I'll always answer my phone. He was intentional about being available or putting himself in the right position. So if we say, Lord, transform my mind and do all of these things and help me, how am I going to do that? He's not just going to do that, but what I can do is I can position myself in a way. He's not going to force himself on me is what I'm saying, but I can keep myself in a position that the spirit of the Lord can move on me. And if you have an option to stay home or be at church, be at church. You know why? Because you put yourself in a position that the Lord can speak something to you. If you've got an opportunity to go on to work or pray first or do your devotion, amen, always pray first and always do your devotion. What are you doing? I'm putting myself in a position for the spirit of the Lord to speak something into my heart. Hallelujah. If I have an opportunity to be in the presence of the Lord or just be out doing my own thing, I want to always answer the phone because you don't ever know who or what is going to be on the other end. (laughs) Hallelujah. I always want to keep myself in the place that God can use me. Amen. In Romans 6 and 13, Paul explained how we do this. He said, He said, we can't present our bodies and our members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin. He said, stop using the things that God has given you for unrighteousness and present them and give them and yield them and lend them to things that are only righteous to the Lord. I've heard people say this. Gifted people, 
that are talented vocalists that have committed to the Lord. I'll never sing something that's not holy and righteous. Amen, I've heard musicians say that Lord, if you'll give me this talent, I will never use this talent to just play rock and roll music and things that are unsavory and against your will. Amen, I will yield myself. And so Lord, if you'll give me a voice, I promise you I won't use it to gossip and put dissension in the church. Amen, I'll use it for unity. I'll use it to bring people together I won't yield my members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but I'll present my body, my instruments, my vessel, amen, as righteousness unto God. We present ourselves to the Lord. We do that through specific acts. This is all not mystical, and it's all not spiritual, amen. We give ourselves to prayer. We give ourselves to Bible reading. Those are literal, physical things. We give ourselves to prayer. We give ourselves to the study of the word of God. We give ourselves to seasons of fasting. We give ourselves to praise and to worship. I'm just going to be honest with you. I'll say what you've thought before. I don't always feel like praising. I don't always feel like worshiping. Amen. I've had a phone call. You've got this. You've got that on your way to church. Amen. You've had an argument with your wife or your husband or your children. Amen. You walk in. It's 730. Amen. Your whole world is shattered. They're singing and you can just hear it in the background. Amen. It's it sounds like two worlds away and we can sit down or we can say wait a minute God I'm going to give my voice to you and I'm going to sing I'm going to raise my hands I'm going to wave them I'm going to hallelujah I'm going to respond I'm going to do something I'm going to present myself I'm going to present myself hallelujah hallelujah I will present myself amen Hallelujah. Oh, my, my, my. Paul said that we, in doing so, would prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of the Lord. Or, or in other words, I believe as we walk in this, we will know what the will of God is for our lives. The will of God is not another planet. The will of God is not nearly as mystical as we often make it. If we will just position ourselves and say, God, I will do what you have called me to do and I'll serve. And if I have to serve in the shadows, I'll serve in the shadows. My Lord, my Lord, I just feel something in my heart here tonight. I don't want to call any names to protect the innocent. But I will tell you that I have met no personally individuals who perhaps by this world's standards, and I'm going to be very carefully and thread a needle, so please don't wiggle and move. Amen. But I have met people who perhaps by the world's standards and maybe even by the church world's standards, we would not perhaps call them successful. Maybe they didn't build the largest church uh, in our movement or maybe they didn't have a ministry that uh, took them from district to district preaching camp meetings and things of that nature. But they pastored, while they pastored a, a very solid congregation, God used them as writers and they were contributors, many times contributors to uh, some of them Sunday school material and literature that has been used in adult classes and, and in senior classes and in children's church and things of that nature. And so while we may not see them as a shining star, Amen. I'm just being blunt tonight. I hope it's all right. While we may not have them listed in our top tier of 
top 10 of who's who, you have no idea how many lives have been impacted. Amen, on a Friday night when they were in their office alone, no one was there, just a single light at a desk, but God was using them as a vessel. They'd sat years ago at a typewriter and typed away, amen, and wondering if it's ever gonna impact, will it ever matter, amen. Maybe they typed into a Word document and emailed it to somewhere to print, amen, knowing, never knowing, never realizing whose hand it's gonna wind up in. But I will tell you today, if we can just walk in the way that God has us and if we won't get our mind prefixed with where God should take us or what it ought to look like or what it ought to feel like, my Lord, I feel like I'm walking in the Holy Ghost tonight. If we wouldn't just define for God what our life and ministry ought to look like, amen, there's no telling what you might do. And when those glory bells ring and the church is called home, amen, you may shake hands with people. Your life has impacted. Your life has impacted because you presented yourself a living sacrifice to him. Let's clap our hands to the Lord. going to do what the Lord would have me to do and I'll be used as he would have me to be used and if somebody in your peer group if somebody your age if somebody is doing something that has a lot more flash than what you're doing don't grade yourself according to them just say Lord here I am if you can do anything with these hands I'm going to yield them to you if you can do anything with this talent, I will yield it to you. And if you just write one verse, if you like write one line that impacts a soul, can you measure the worth of that for me, please? Oh, in the name of the Lord. Praise God. Simon, Simon Peter became intimately, I'm going to ask our musicians to come maybe. Simon Peter became intimately acquainted with the way of the cross while following the Lord. Oh, how humiliating. Simon Peter's first experience was with the Lord. I mentioned that a moment ago. When the Lord says, I, I must do this and I must give my life. And, and oh, he thinks, man, I've, here's my moment. You can't do this, Lord. And the end result of what he thought was going to be his greatest sermon was that the Lord himself called him Satan. <laughs> Not exactly as planned. Then Jesus let him know that you too, sir, We'll have a cross to bear. There's no way Simon Peter could have ever known what this is going to weigh, what this is going to be, 
And so as Jesus' crucifixion drew near, Simon had to again be humiliated beyond measure when he denied the Lord three times. (laughs) Not me. You can count on me. I'm there. Others may, but not, not me. He had boasted about being so devoted to him that he would die for him. But when that rooster crowed, it made an announcement for the ages. <laughs> and it declared the failure of his life's work. But in his mercy, the Lord would not reject him. And after the crucifixion, Jesus shocked the church world by handing him the keys. I'll say it again. If that had been up to our vote, (laughs) never in a million years. And maybe there were some going, what in the world? What in the world? But he gave him the keys. I I can't imagine the gratitude, the overwhelming mercy that Simon Peter must have realized in that moment, undeserved mercy. And And then Jesus in John 21 revealed somewhat of what the way of the cross was going to be for Simon Peter and he says to him he says when you're old Simon you're going to have to stretch out your hands for another somebody else is going to have to dress you and somebody else will have to carry you where you want to go this is the way of your cross Jesus' call on, on, on Peter's life meant not only taking up his cross spiritually, but it also meant taking up his cross. He was one of those disciples who died a martyr's death. But you know what? That didn't turn him away. This is what it must be. It's what it must be. And he faithfully served the Lord. And he faithfully served the churches. You know Why? because his mind had been transformed. No longer weak, no longer impulsive, no longer unstable Simon, but the Lord said, thou art Peter, and upon this rock will I build my church. And that man followed the Lord to the bitter end and considered it, you know what? Reasonable. My reasonable service. Amen. Let's stand. There's a lot of conjecture as to what the absolute end of Simon Peter's life was. Some say crucified. Some snippets of history, how accurate or inaccurate, say he was crucified upside down. Whether those things are be or no 
we do know this, that he marched into his sunset with his shoulders square and his chin up because he understood how bitter defeat can taste. And he also understood how sweet mercy can be. He experienced both sides of that in extreme measures. In extreme measures. Amen. And so tonight, God is asking for our reasonable service. If you can do it, sir, why aren't you? If you can do it, ma'am, why aren't you? He's not asking unreasonable things from, from us. He's asking for our reasonable service. Amen. Lord, I love you. Amen. Let's worship the Lord. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.